Hey, brother. Hello, brother. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 7 of Match Wits. I'm your host, Steve, alongside my brother, Chris. Say something clever. I don't have anything clever. All right. Um, if you're new to this podcast, Matchwit is a nostalgia-infused pop culture podcast where we go toe-to-toe on a number of different topics. Uh, the crux of this week's podcast is going to be time travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple things before we get started. First of all, i got to turn down my volume on my headphones. My voice is loud. All right. Now, before we get started, uh, talk about a couple things. We're going to talk a lot about movies. We're going to talk, we'll probably spoil a lot of movies. Uh, a lot of these movies are older, so you really shouldn't be too worried. But if you haven't seen, um, well, I don't know, The Terminator, you might want to turn it off. All right. <laughs> well, and also, so a lot of these, like, just by solely mentioning the title, you're kind of giving away the, the you know what I mean? Like, if the big <laughs> reveal is the time travel aspect. So even by mentioning it, we're giving it away. So, yeah, spoiler alert. Right. So... Quick refresher is something that we started doing uh, last episode, and we're going to continue going. It's something that we call the the dimwit tally. Uh, this is where Chris and I will disagree on something, probably a lot of different things, um, maybe around Rutger Hauer um, or James Spader. And uh, when we fact check it, if I'm right, then uh, it's a, a, a dollar to me. And if Chris is right, it's a dollar to him. So we went in the last episode with Chris being down $2, but he even the score because of uh, – James Spader was indeed in Less Than Zero, and I gave away the Ernest Borgnine, Mikhail's <laughs> Navy thing, which got him six degrees of Kevin Bacon, Ernest Borgnine. So we're zero, and <sighs> uh, for anybody who listened to the last episode, the oh, which arcade was which um, in the Erie right. Mall, I was right on tilt, but I don't think we actually put a dollar on it. No, so. no. We didn't, but at least I found, I, I like the never forget, or it's just like the sign is removed and it's just the dirt that still says tilt on the sign. <laughs> I like that. I saved that into my phone just for nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, that was a, uh, well, I'll have, have to tweet that out. That was a, that was a good one. I didn't see any of, I looked pretty hard for Red Baron to prove that it was the one across from Record Den, but nonetheless. The one I found that actually looked like it wasn't even in the right mall. I was like, oh, that looks like Red Baron. And then I looked into it was somewhere in Indiana. I was like, no, that's not it. That's, yeah, the, I wonder if so. Red Baron might have been a chain like Aladdin's Castle. Yeah, maybe. Something like that. All right. So before we jump right into the movies, um, I do want to talk about uh, – I was thinking about first movie experiences. We're talking um, – the, the, the third How to Train Your Dragon has come out, and that was for – for my my younger kids, for for my and Charlie, it was their first movie uh, experience in a theater. Was watching How to Train Your Dragon in 3D. How old, Steve? Ooh, that's a good, like I'm Brody's four, and I was trying. I was yeah. thinking my son is four, and I wanted to take him to go see Into the Spider Verse when it was in a theater, but I just didn't think he could sit still for two hours. So we tried it at home, and he seems to sit still enough. So I kind of want to say him they there. were like. Six and five, maybe. Let's, okay. let's, let's, let's look it up. Fair enough. I was no, because yeah. I remember when I used to write a blog, and the, one of the things that I wrote about was the first movie experience you ever remember clearly. And I remember going to see Return of the Jedi with you and all the cousins at the 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 theater inside the mall when when Return of the Jedi came out, and everybody was dressed up and people had lightsabers and stuff like that. And I would have been. Four, five, maybe nineteen eighty-four. I think is when Jedi came out. Yeah, because it was but seventy-seven, I, eighty-one, eighty-four, something yeah. like that. Because I clearly remember that we had the. I have a. We have a picture of someone dressed as Yoda and someone dressed as Darth Vader, and I think they just saved those costumes and wore that to the mall. Well, at least right. the, the twins did. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> so I, I so how to train your dragon first one was 2010 so maya would okay. have been uh depending on when it came out uh she would have been six and charlie would have been five so that's okay. right around the cusp and i remember like they were almost too small for the seats <laughs> and them i mean the 3d glasses getting them to stay on their head but yeah and that was an important movie to me because it was the first 3d movie that i've ever been able to really watch because it was right after I had my second eye surgery, so I could actually see things in stereo. Sure. And, and uh, I had the same amazement that they did, that they did <laughs> when the snow was coming at you, and you're like, "What is this?" Yeah. So that was a kind of a cool mo- moment. So with the third one being out, Maya really wants to go see it today. And uh, so we were talking, I was thinking about first movie experiences, and I don't know that I remember my first one. I think it was probably Star Wars. But maybe not the first release of Star Wars. Uh, sure. Star Wars was out in '77. I would have been five, but I certainly remember a seeing it in the theater and b seeing it more than once. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, well, no, the only reason I even could pinpoint Jedi is because I when I when I sat down to write that article a while ago, I sat and thought long and hard. Dude, that's the same the same article that I got in touch with the blockbuster in Erie before it closed. So I was writing it. It was all about your first cinematic experiences with certain things. And I, I remember the first movies that I rented from Blockbuster at the Liberty Plaza in Erie, Pennsylvania, when I was allowed to rent movies on my own. You want to take a guess, Steve? One you'll never get. It's Freaks from 1934, the, the, oh, the, hor- the blacklisted horror movie. For some reason, they had it. And the second one was Clerks. I oh, called nice. them and they could trace, but it was before it closed. So they still had my account, my account on file, even though it was inactive. And I went back and I asked them, I said, can you go back all of my rentals and see what the first one was? And the guy laughed and he said, you rented freaks and clerks. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I was like 17, 18 at the time. And that was really when I was hardcore into movies and I was watching everything I could possibly get my hands on. So that just shows like I've been a nerd for way, way too long. And I don't know if you follow Kevin Smith on uh, like Instagram or whatever, but I'm really intrigued by, by the reboot. Sure. Like the whole, like, he's showing pictures of Jason Lee and uh, uh, the guy who played Dante. Like, he's like he's Brian, Brian O'Halloran. Thing. Steve, I met Brian O'Halloran. I met him. He worked with a friend of mine, on, and I went on set one day just to help him out. as like a production assistant. He was, like, super nice guy. Like, worked on, like, a super low-budget kind of indie comedy and was super nice came in did his day did his hours said hi to everybody shook everyone's hand took selfies and left and was like the nicest guy in the world but no i'm i'm super excited for it too because not only they're getting everybody like jason lee's back and like everybody from the old the old view universe is back but it's produced by this company that's owned by fans it's called like legion a or something like that it, it's some i follow them on instagram and twitter it's a fan-owned production company where everyone kind of does like fundraisers and they kind of pooled all their money together and one of the first big budget productions that they're doing is is kevin smith's reboot the the reboot of the jay and silent bob franchise so that's i'm awesome. super i'm super excited for a whole whole number of reasons yeah, and I, I kind of like you know I I didn't watch some of his more recent stuff not and it's not because I'm not a fan or whatever I didn't think it wasn't good it was just time like sure. I don't have time to watch movies I'm making time now of as part of this podcast which has sure. been good because I'm able to show the kids movies and then I'm able to watch movies that I wouldn't normally watch as part of you know part of the research sure. or just kind of you know reimmersing myself because I I used to watch a ton of movies not as many as you but I used to watch <laughs> a ton of movies and I just haven't so this is you know opportunity to do it but. You know, where where Kevin Smith kind of got into this, like, you know, kind of 
do, raise funds, do a movie, pay for it. Don't have to be super profitable so you can fund the next project and kind of live hand to mouth and be able to have it be a creative vehicle without it having to be this huge Hollywood thing where there's sure. you know, millions of dollars being screwed around. I, I kind of like that approach, right? It's that, you know, it's his medium. He just wants it to be able to pay for itself. So when he did that, what was it, Tusk? Tusk, the, yeah, the Tusk movie about the Walrus Man, um, Canadian. What was it? Hose, Canadian hosers. What was yoga the hosers? Yoga hosers. Yeah. They're, was it yoga okay. or Yoda? Yoga. Yoga hosers. No. Pretty sure. Dollar bet. Uh-oh. Dollar bet. Yoga with a G. Yoga. Well, just look up Kevin yeah, Smith. Right. <laughs> Plus All one. Right. I owe you a dollar. It was yoga but no, hosers. Steve. Like I've been infatuated. Like ever since, like I said, when I rented Clerks, the when I was seventeen years old, and you bought me the signed. I have the screenplays for Clerks and Chasing Amy that you went to Jay and Silent Bob's secret stash up in Red Bank and got signed. I still have that on my bookshelf, and I've been nice. to when he travels around and does those a night with Kevin Smith. I've been to at least two, possibly three. Where he just sits and he talks for two hours and the guy is just a natural storyteller. And if your interests align like mine do with his with comedy and comics and that kind of like straight up nerd stuff, like I can sit and listen to him talk for two hours. Like that's that's his draw. He's a, a natural storyteller. So, yeah. Yeah. He seem, and he seems totally, totally humble. Like mm-hmm. he just he does his thing. Right. He he. He doesn't have delusions of grandeur. Like he, he kind of understands what he is. Like he's got this. He's able to hit a hit a hit a note with people about like a note of humanity with dick and fart jokes. Yep. Right. And and he knows that that's kind of his thing. And he's not anything bigger than that. He's just. And, but he's super into what he does. He knows. He kind of is like I'm super lucky. I get to do this. <laughs> you know, after having a you know widowmaker heart attack what a year yep. ago that he's been able to kind of not say reinvent himself, but really like you know changed the way he's living he's lost mm-hmm. a ton of weight and and he's back to doing you know he's back to doing the whole james hot bob usq universe so yep cool so i'm so and i and i totally forgot i got you those uh those signed scripts yep i still have them they're on my bookshelf all right and uh i guess i'm i, I owe you a dollar now all right yep. so going back so that the whole first movie experience thing um it is important, right? Because and again, at the time, the the theater going experience, and I still I still love going to the theater and, and seeing movies. Um, you know, it's it, it's a little bit more of a production, um, and yeah. theater technology and everything has changed, and you know, it, it becomes really expensive, right? It's um, really expensive, and the fact that the for my for my experience, Steve, I'm on the opposite. Like, I'm such a purist when it comes to movies, and I hate the theater experience now. Like, I have problems, like. When I used to live in where I before we moved, there was a ha- there was a theater right by my house. It's like my favorite theater ever. The seats were super comfortable. They had to reserve seating. It was really clean. It wasn't really that big just because they didn't have the space, so it wasn't crowded all the time. And then I moved, and I I've been to every theater probably in an eight eight to ten mile radius, maybe even more than that, twenty mile radius of my house, and I've hated every single one of them. It's either the seats suck or the it's dirty or they don't enforce any of the rules so people are on their phones and I, oh. I, I, I yeah, it's I, I we need an Alamo draft house out here just so we can walk like us movie nerds can walk in and just be around other nerds that are in for the, the to watch and not to be with their friends and to talk and to get food and drinks and tweet about it i just so yeah yeah and so you know we're, we're and we don't live in on the east coast anymore we're 
right. we're out here on the west, and and um, we have a bunch of new theaters, a bunch of regal like reclined theater like yeah. seats, reserved seating, the whole night. So there's, it's new, clean, state of the art audio. The seats like. We joke at work, like if you go to see a movie and it's not good, you just get a good nap out of it because <laughs> the chairs are so comfortable. But when we had an Alamo, Alamo does a really good job of kind of catering to the the big blockbuster movies that people will go, you know, a couple times a year to see the latest Harry yeah. Potter or whatever. But it's it good with the people that are just in the film. Um, the one in Virginia had a film club. Yep. And they would do a lost weekend where they would get basically one of the theaters and it would be film nerds that would go from eight o'clock in the morning till midnight for like three days in a row and they would eat and drink and watch like dozens of movies and it was they called it Lost Weekend and they did it like once or twice a year. Yeah. And, and they would bring in all these indie films that no one like ever really played in, in big theaters. And this was in Winchester, Virginia. It wasn't like it was in Dallas or Austin, yeah. right? It was in a really small market. So sure. pretty cool but, what 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 they're doing. That's the cool thing about Alamo. It's it's new theaters that do. We have a lot of theaters, like small, old, historic theaters that do things similar to that. Like I live out near where the original Blob was shot, the in Phoenixville, the Colonial Theater out in Phoenixville is is relatively near to my house, or like half hour away. But so they have Blob Fest where they do the same thing. They bring some of the original cast members if they're alive. I remember. I think who's the guy that played Johnny Drama? Uh, Matt Dillon's brother, Kevin Dillon, is that his name? He 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 was in the remake when they remade the Blob in like '88 or whatever mm, it is, okay. and he came in and like emceed a weekend where they showed like the original and then the remake. So there's theaters around here that do that, but the Alamo's brand new, so you get the super comfy chairs and you get the really esoteric film nerd programming, which is right. one of the reasons that I want an Alamo Draft House out in the middle of nowhere by my house. There you go. You can open one. Yeah. It's only makes it similar. It's it's one of the most expensive. I've looked into it. It's one of the most expensive franchises you can purchase. Oh yeah, you because have the building alone and the equipment four, is four million dollars. I think you have no, to yeah. have, and they don't they don't offer like financing through their own franchise development. So yeah, you're kind of on your own. You got to come up with your own. You got to get. <laughs> I don't have four mil lying around. No, I'm about four point two short. All right, <laughs> so the um. Uh, but the one thing with the movie experience, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but, um, you know, particularly when I was younger, because I'm, I'm completely off sugar now. Um, but at the time, like, I had my jam, which was, I don't even think I did a ton of popcorn. Like, popcorn, I don't know. It, just, it, it was super expensive, and I would go straight for uh, a, a go-to candy and a soda. And mine, I don't, you know, I don't know if you had a go-to, but mine was Spree. Sure. Right, which were... They were they were essentially sweet tarts, but they had a candy shell, and they came in this massive box that was yep. I don't know movie. you can only get in theaters. They were massive, and cherry coke. Yep. Right, and it was cherry coke out of the dispenser, which you could only really like. Not a lot of places had it. Not a lot of restaurants had cherry coke. Cherry coke kind of was a, a little bit more rare form at yeah. least the time for form. They had just brought it back. Um, but I remember well, getting most, one of those sixty-four most, ounce cherry coke yep. in a spree, and then trying to sit still in a movie. It was crazy. Yeah, well, it, it was a lot of places they didn't have cherry coke, so they would just put coke and then a shot of what is it, grenadine, whatever that the the cherry flavored <laughs> right. non-alcoholic yeah. liqueur. So yeah. like we used to go to the Seen Burger Club with with dad and stuff, and that's what they used to do. It used to just be coke with a shot of grenadine, some in it. syrup in it, some syrup. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, so like that's one of the things that you always I remember trying to sit still after you ate or you drank 60, 64 ounces of caffeinated beverage and then an entire bag full of sugar. And then I remember they used to laugh because after the movie, I was more wired than when I went in. I used to get out and run around. But the, the story that I always talk about is when I bought the big bag of Skittles. So Tinseltown was the, the new theater open behind the mall after they closed the one inside. So it was the first place that had that stadium seating. It was kind of like that parabolic curve in the back. The back seats were the highest out of all the other ones. It, but it was a gradual slope. And I dropped. Right. I had just opened it and I dropped an entire family sized bag of Skittles. And it was dead silent in the theater. And you could just hear every <laughs> single one of them rolling down the 40 rows of whatever it is. However, and it went all the way to the front and i remember the guy in the front just turned up and turned around slowly and just started <laughs> clapping and i just like, put my head down and kind of shrunk into my seat but yeah i didn't have any skittles that time right well and so. it was probably it was like a four pound bag yep it's probably sound like ball bearings rolling yep. down some metal and and then you're you know it probably cost you twelve dollars sure and because the it, only it, thing the only thing that was missing from like it being a movie quality gaff was just like that that noise of like the 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 record player stopping all of a sudden because like people were talking <laughs> and then slowly you'd hear people like stop talking as as each one of the individual skittles starts rolling down and then by the end it was just dead quiet and everyone's just kind of looking back and i'm sloughing down and i'm turning bright red and sweating and i'm like pulling my hood up and yeah dropped an entire bag of skittles i love yeah. that story and and again and then you're out to skittles again which weren't yep. cheap now the one thing i do see a little bit with theaters particularly with alamo was good because you could get you weren't stuck with movie theater food you could get you know um you could actually order like a burger or a pizza yeah. or whatever and beer and wine it was it was pretty reasonable price like you'd order they give you a big bowl of popcorn i don't know if you've ever been to an alamo but they give you a big stainless steel bowl of popcorn and it was refillable and it wasn't like 12 bucks i mean it was yeah. reasonably priced which made going to the theater a little bit more attractive because right now you know you go and and i see this here like if we're going to go see how to train your dragon this weekend um you know it'll be 10 bucks a ticket but you're not you know large popcorns coming down in price and we don't sure. buy the sodas and everything so it's a little bit more for it's still crazy it's not retail right you're not you're I, still overpaying I, for that stuff but it's, it's getting better you look at the finances I, i'm pretty sure that movie theaters make their money on their concessions and not on their tickets because the the studios demand such a high a high premium on the movies that they show like they don't really make a whole lot of money off the tickets they still gouge you even though the prices are coming down there's something about the incremental, like, it looks like it's a deal. Like, when you get a large popcorn versus a small or a medium popcorn, there's it doesn't match up the savings that it looks like. So you're actually paying 50 cents more. more. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. There was a whole, I think it was Adam Ruins Everything or one of those ones where they just kind of took it to task and kind of broke down all the math. And they were just like, yeah, if you buy this giant tub of popcorn, you're only going to eat probably two-thirds of it, which means you're actually paying more for the amount that you eat versus if you would have got a smaller one and... There's a movie tavern. See, the the problem that I have with places that serve food, Alamo does it really good that their their rows are staggered above each other enough that when the servers can crouch down, the movie tavern by our house isn't like that. So there's some servers there that are like 6'4", and you're in the middle of like a tent <laughs> scene, and this dude just comes strolling in with some guy's burger and stands directly in your eye line, and it kind of takes away from the cinema you know what i mean like that's one of the reasons that i dislike the movie tavern is 
I, popcorn is one thing. I've gotten acclimated to hearing someone chew popcorn, but when the person next to you is sitting eating like chicken nachos and they're <laughs> dropping it down in front of themselves, and it's like a tense moment in like a horror movie when you're waiting for the jump scare and all you hear is like a, <sighs> and I'm like, right. come on, like finger foods. I had a girl sit next to me and get pasta. So all I heard was like a fork and like a knife, like scratching across a plate the entire movie. And I was like, oh yeah, that's why. No, yeah. I, I, it's good. Like, yeah, if you get to a movie late and you're hungry, sure. I'm sure it's super convenient, but just think of the person next to you does not want to hear you eat pasta after they just spent 14, $15 on a, a ticket to see a movie. And especially like, I don't go to the theater as much anymore. I do for big budget action movies and like Marvel movies and stuff, but I go specifically to go see Marvel on a big screen and I get a woman eating chicken nachos on one side and pasta on the other. Like, I'd rather just sit in my house and That's watch it. That's a good it. point. Yeah. That, yeah. It, there's a lot of distractions there when you go. It's great, like, great for kids. Great to keep their attention. Great to not to have them to just be – it's either popcorn or Skittles. Um, so was, was, was Skittles your go-to when you would go Originally, as a kid? When, yeah. when we were real young, Skittles was my go-to. And then as I got older, it was uh, Reese's Pieces. Those are oh, pe- yeah. anything peanut butter. I, yeah. I, I'm a peanut butter and chocolate. And that was, well, if you drop those, they would roll. But, but at that point in time, I wasn't as clumsy. So, yeah. yeah. So I, my jam was spree. But as, and then it would vary by theater. But there was a, there was, and I think they were all made by the same company because they all came in the same size boxes. You had lemon heads were the most yep. popular. Yep. You had cherry chans which yep. were probably the second most popular. And then the ones that were hard to find, but were my favorite were Alexander the grapes. Yep. And you would normally get them. Like we would go to country fair and we get the little box and it was like a quarter. But when you went to the theater, you got like, of the course, the theater sized, which would now be something they would sell at Costco. It's like more Alexander the grapes than you would ever get, but you could never find them. You would always find the lemon heads, which lemon heads were not, okay. they were not top of my list, but the grape stuff was, was the bomb. Yeah. Agreed. And then go ahead. No, I said agreed. And then the other thing was, uh, you know, in terms of if I would break it up with a candy bar, it was, uh, and I don't know what it was, what the allure was. And I don't eat any of this stuff. I'm like completely off sugar. I haven't had a candy bar or a soda and whatever. But anything with crispy rice in it yep. was, my, was my weakness. So the whatchamacallit. <laughs> whatchamacallit, the, Steve. Whatchamacallit to this day, still my favorite candy bar of all time. I still get it. I still, every once in a while, I'm like, I want some chocolate. And I'm like, I haven't had a whatchamacallit in a while. And I get it. And it's the greatest thing ever. Yep. Dude, those are still, like, those are my favorite candy growing up. And they're still, to this day, I've introduced Brody to them. And these are like, these are really good. I'm like, yeah, I know, kid. I ate them 30 years ago. Well, I don't know what the allure of crispy rice is inside of a chocolate bar but it makes it awesome yep. like when we used to do those polacos yep. uh, fundraisers where we get the little brown box and we'd have to go sell them for a dollar like i think today if somebody waved a polacos crispy rice in front of me i might eat it i would devour it i would go oh, yeah after... i guess I'm, I'm i didn't swear <laughs> off chocolate and sugar like i'm not you so like yeah i would clearly eat that yeah that was the bomb anyways all right so we should move on to uh we should move on to our list of top uh, time travel movies. And before we get into my top six list, like we've been doing, is going to kind of go through kind of an honorable mention. Sure. I might even do a dishonorable mention in this one. Um, <laughs> cause there are some movies that uh, maybe they would put on ripe for remake, um, in, sure. in, in a later episode. Uh, but also, and, and I got to give a nod to a couple of TV shows. Um, that's the, I didn't include those on my list. Um, 
but and may, maybe we'll start there. You know, for, for me, uh, Quantum Leap from a time travel perspective was, I, I thought that was a really good show. It was really well done. It was at a time we used to watch that in college. Like, yeah. we would stay up and watch Quantum Leap. It must have been in syndication at the time because I think it was on every night at like, midnight or whatever but steve it was on in syndication when i was in college like i remember it was when i used to when i actually did go to class or when i would wake up on my couch it was kids in the hall was on at 2 30 on comedy central i used to watch that and then three o'clock was quantum leap and people used to like show up either in my dorm room or in my apartment and just sit down on a couch like what are we watching i was like it's three o'clock it's time for quantum leap i'm like what episode is it like i don't know we don't know where he's going maybe he's going to start in the civil the the civil rights riots in in georgia in the 50s so good yeah so 89 no it must have been wow that's weird because i remember watching it a ton that was it was first run when i was in college it wasn't syndication oh Hmm. wow Wait, it didn't start till 1989? That's what it's saying on here. Let's see. Oh, yeah. uh, no, that, yeah, I mean, that I mean, makes the, sense. When did they start? Um, sorry, I'm not. Yeah, makes for good, makes for good radio when you're reading IMDb. But no, <laughs> one of the things I always love, like people always talk about the Quantum Leap. I'm like, do you remember how it ended? And they're like, no, not really. And I'm like, yeah, you probably blocked it out of your mind because it ended on like the biggest down note ever. It just said, I remember the spoiler alert for a show that's over 30 years old, but it ends with the very last title card. And it just says, Sam never went home. And I remember watching that at like a 14 year old. And I felt like I got kicked in the chest. And I was just like, oh, and then it just ended you're like wait there's no more and you're like nope that's it sam's just lost in time have fun with your life you're like ugh. yeah but he jumps into a coal miner in like yep. altoona right and and both of us went to school like i was closer to i think altoona than you were yeah um but what like I, and i believe it was altoona it, 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 he jumped into a coal miner ziggy was i think and this is i've been a lot was it wasn't ziggy the bartender yep at the and ziggy yep. was like this metaphor for god um, or, you know, if you're watching Travelers, kind of like the, 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 the director, right? The, whoever is orchestrating all this time travel stuff. It was, you uh-huh. know, Ziggy was there and yeah, right. It ended on such a downer, <laughs> such a kick in the balls. Like I was, like, wind left my sails after Like, you're like, how are they going to wrap it up? There's only 10 minutes left. And then it's like final title card. Sam never went home. Uh, okay. That's yeah. it. it was, Enjoy. It was Life is pain. Enjoy it. But they're and they did some cool things. I mean, because in TV at the time, like I think the, the the gap between like network television and cinema now, and and the way that the, the whole industry has changed, there is not a whole difference between a lot of like what you classify as television, what you classify as movies. I think that's all kind of evened out at the time. You know, back in whatever eighty nine, huh. there was a big gap between kind of what you would get on television in terms of quality versus what you would get in the cinema. Like sure. there was, there was, there was, a, I think there was a gap, but quantum leap, like they just did a good job of storytelling. And I remember the one episode, probably my favorite episode is where he, um, he jumps back into his brother or almost into himself. And, and he plays Imagine by John Lennon for his <laughs> sister. It was like, it was moving, like gave me goosebumps, still does. Like it was this amazing, like, Hey, he, and he somehow tells his I think it was his sister that John Lennon dies and she becomes like emotional. And she's like, what do you mean he dies? And they're like, Oh, he gets killed. And, but he's like, he writes this song before he dies and he plays imagine. I think he plays the whole thing. Was it Scott Pacula? Plays yeah. the whole thing. And 
It was pretty cool. So, and, the, and that movie would go, or that that show would go from like hitting historic moments to you know just kind of I don't want to say filler, but ones that weren't quite as people in history type of thing. So it was, sure, it was, the, it was well done. The one that I always remember is: Do you remember the one where he went to? He jumped into a guy that was in Vietnam. He was the photographer. And yes. he was he was following the POWs, and at the very end, he goes back and he's he's developing the photos, and he never got to save the American POWs. And the last photo he, the last photo he pulls out is one of Al, who was at that time was a prisoner of war in 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 Vietnam, and he turns and looks at Al, and he goes, "It had to be this way." He goes, "I had to follow that path in order to be here with you, Sam." Like that's the whole thing. He's like, "But I could have saved you," and he said, "That's not what time wanted." And I was yep. like, holy oh, I remember crap. that one. And I think yeah. that one was close in the arc with the whole whatever season that was with the uh, the John Lennon, which where they really sure. started to hit their stride. And there, they yeah, weaved there was, in their backstories. Yeah. Yeah, there was a whole – that whole I, – I don't know if it was that season or from that season on. Then they started, like, jumping into, like – it used to be more, like, small morality tales or, like, almost like fables. But then he started getting into, like, the Watts riots – in, in, in Watts in like, what was that, in the 60s or in the civil rights riots in, in Georgia in the 50s and stuff like that. And then it started becoming these bigger things about can you interfere or are you supposed to push it along the way it happened and the, what would you do if you were in that situation? So it became a lot more philosophical, which is when it hit its stride for me. Right. And I was 14, 15 years old. I shouldn't have been thinking about stuff like that, but it brought up questions that needed to be brought up, which caused me to question a lot of history so right yeah so a nod to quantum leap not on the list but because it's a tv show and you know i and i think i mentioned you i don't know if i mentioned this on air in any of the previous podcasts i'm watching that show travelers i'm not done with it yet um there there is a there is a nod to quantum leap and travelers for sure right sure. the whole that's the how i heard it described the the director type of thing but it's a team of people they leap into pe like they jump into people but they don't just kind of go multi-jump right they just would you say they quantum leap into people soon <laughs> they do talk about the quantum frame as one of their like one of the machines that they have in there so there, there is some overlap there so that's that's and, how i heard it described was it was it's team quantum leap versus yep, just yep. just scott bacula's character of sam it's just like a team of people and it's a little bit better communication than in quantum leap so yeah and they and they leap into like they, they can't do multiple leaps they go from the future into the past and i think that they do that once okay anyways um what other honorable mentions? Um, there's a there's a show that's probably from the early early to mid '90s. That again, this is one I'll cover in the right for remakes. But it's called Sliders. It's with mm -hmm. Jerry Jerry O'Connell and I'm trying to remember. And I haven't seen it in a long time. But I was it was the idea of shuffling between parallel universes, and so it has to do with a lot of. I think some of it was alternative history, like if the, the Nazis were, won World War II or if so-and-so hadn't been born or assassinated. So it, it did it deal, or dealt with a lot of those moral questions about the way the world would be if these certain events didn't happen. And it was done lighthearted, and it was kind of dumb because it's Jerry O'Connell and stuff, but I used, to, I used to be infatuated with that show. So that's another right for remake one that we'll cover down the line. Absolutely. Um, and... But there's other ones that I, I don't think will make your film list. That I don't know. Are we just doing like television on our no, 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 no. I, I'm kind of went through like what I'll say is they're not on my list. But I, you know, I gotta. I'm, I'm relooking at my list here, and I'm like, oh, I think I gotta <laughs> take. I think I have to take time after time off of it 
That's he, that's off my list. I have ones yeah. that I've crossed out, like Flight of the Navigator. Yeah. Do you remember that was actually yeah. time travel? The kid goes forward in time. Like I, right. everyone always thinks that time travel is more like going backwards, yeah. like going backwards in time and changing events. But Flight of the Navigator, he got bumped up, I think, like seven or eight years into the future. <laughs> Hot tub time machine. That's not oh, gonna make it. Oh god, I forgot about that. That's yeah. not gonna make a list. But well, well I mean, and that's, I, I think that a that's dishonorable Steve mention. Sure. That's Steve Pink, Steve. That's the guy that wrote Gross Point Blank, and I think he wrote the screenplay for High Fidelity. I know it's a book by Nick Hornsby, but right. I think is it Nick Hornsby that wrote that? Yeah, no, High Fidelity. Yeah, he, yeah. Nick Hornsby. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, Steve Pink wrote Hot Tub Time Machine, wrote and directed it. Not yeah, not I, a great I, movie, I, but funny. No, but funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You forget about the comedy, the comedy movie. So I. So time after time, it was originally on my list, but I I, I just took it off because I forgot yeah. that I didn't have, didn't have uh, oh boy yeah, uh, but twelve monkeys I, on my list. I did have it, but I moved it. But time after time for me because it came out in seventy nine, and it was that like it was on HBO all, all the, time. the time, all the time, and all like it was on. It might have even been on that VHS collection that we had, sure. and it was it was kind of a play on H. G. Wells. Yeah. Time Machine, but it kind of mixed in Jack the Ripper, which Jack yeah. the Ripper was making, I think, a resurgence in pop culture around that time because they were still trying to figure out who he was. And sure. so uh, it, Not, I think it was well done with Malcolm McDowell, Mary Steenburgen, um, David uh, Warner. David Warner, yeah. yeah. So the, the other one that you put in the same category as that same kind of time frame, do you remember a movie called The Final Countdown? Where the, the aircraft carrier from like yes, 80, the Nimitz. 80, it goes, goes through the the wormhole created by the yeah. Philadelphia experiments and ends up in 1942. Like yeah. Steve, like not not a good movie, and the special effects are horribly dated. But I have a soft spot for it. I yeah. I, I don't think it was on that VHS collection because I don't remember seeing it that many times. But I remember seeing it a couple times. And... I, I have it, I have it written down because I remember it was like the the Nimitz like they and I think they actually filmed parts of it on the actual aircraft carrier than the USS Nimitz. But sure, yeah, not not in the list. Quote, quote unquote inspired by true events. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think that's how it starts, dude. I think it actually says quote unquote inspired by true events. And it, the only reason they can say that is because they make reference to the Philadelphia experiment, which was a real thing that happened. But then that of course got turned into a, a drama action movie. I think with Michael Landon, is that who's in I don't the Philadelphia experiment? Yeah. I don't it's know. Around the, I'm not around the same time. That but one. that's what the the government was trying to look into cloaking technology, and like they found some weird stuff, and then it was all about they created a wormhole or some nonsense. Was that '84? Yeah, that sounds about right. Or was there was there another one? No, that sounds about right. Who was in that one? Michael Landon. I'm assuming it's not Michael Landon. Chris Christopherson. Michael Paré. Michael Paré. What is he from? That is. Yes, you do. Click on him. He's been in other... I think I'm getting him confused with Michael Ironsides. Yeah, that sounds about right. Chris Christopherson was in Millennium. Streets of Fire. Streets of Fire. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so so like I have that on my list. I have Time Cop. (laughs) Oh, yeah. See, I don't have that one. How do you not? Um, okay, you don't hold, you don't hold the same reverence for Jean Claude Van Damme as I do. Like I love all of those movies, and I've seen all of them so many times. In Time Cops, you get to see Mia Sarah's boobs, man. <laughs> Come on, it's Sloan. It's Sloan gets naked in that movie, right? Yeah, I, he does a split, Steve. He jumps up on on the kitchen cabinets or the counter and does a split. To he's a time cop. I, know. I love that. 
So. Yeah, I don't. I don't have the same reverence for John Claude. I should, probably should. I need to go back and watch some of his movies. I, what, Steve, you if you ever want, like, there's a movie that he did called JCVD, and it's based on his real life. And he does this speech. There's probably like ten. 10 or 11 minute monologue where he looks directly in the camera and he does this speech because he plays himself. It's the idea that the real Jean-Claude gets like caught up in a bank robbery and everyone thinks he's really the action star. And he's like, no, I have stunt doubles and stuff like that. He's like, I can't do this anymore. I'm in my fifties. <laughs> and so at one point in time, he turns to the camera and does this aside where he does this real long monologue and you, it's heartbreaking, Steve. And he talks about how he was on top of the world and he got whisked up in this whirlwind of international fame. And then it's just, everything collapsed around him and he was addicted to painkillers and he lost his wife. And you're just like, Oh my God. And it's the best acting that he's ever done because you actually feel sorry for him. And I just remember seeing that. And it was after that, I was like, okay he's back in my good graces <laughs> all right well i'll have to watch that one and i think we're gonna have to do an episode on like i don't want to call them, like martial arts movies right i sure. think we need to do a, a a top list of martial arts movies because i just saw something <laughs> steve viral. you think i've nerded out on stuff before like my martial arts stuff like i i've seen every single one of jackie chan's movies i printed out his imdb and i went and i found like the weirdest <laughs> ones that i hadn't seen and like checked them off so like yeah i could do an entire episode on just yeah i mean and you were the one to turn me on that what was it Ip man it man you're like you so gotta watch this movie and i watched it I was like oh my god that's amazing don donnie yen's fight scene where he's like first i think he's meditating first and then the guys all attack him and he does that like fist of fury where he punches the guy like 40 times in the face in a matter of like 20 seconds and then like right. all his teeth fall out so good yeah so, so good. we'll have to do a whole a whole thing and then i just saw this thing the other day with steven seagal i don't know <laughs> if you've seen it it's going it's going around where he he was at this thing i think in russia i think he lives in russia now and is that his he, martial arts demonstration where the guys are like jumping and doing flips where he's supposed to be like hip tossing him and he just looks so indifferent well and he's like way overweight and yep. he's wearing black and he's got this massive goatee and he just like grabs a person throws him, but he looks completely disinterested <laughs> yeah that's like, i think that's actually from a little bit ago because i think he's even fatter now but it, yeah. it makes the rounds every i've seen it i well in that time frame you had basically two stars that you liked. It was either Steven Seagal and his terrible movies, or you like Jean-Claude Van Damme and his terrible movies. And I, <laughs> I, I was, I was partial to the muscles from Brussels just because I Seagal never moved or did anything cool. Like at least Jean-Claude was like, I, I get Seagal's a trained martial artist, but Jean-Claude was like, he was the, the fastest recorded spin kicks at the time and, and like competed internationally. And like he did a split every time Steven Seagal did a split. He wouldn't be able to get up for three years. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. Stephen Skull did a good job of kind of creating a mystique about himself. About himself. Yep. But it was, I don't think there was any depth to it. So anyways, we'll do that in a later episode. So I have some others that, again, I, they're on my, they're, they're on my, they're not on my list, but I think I should mention just to get your thoughts on. Sure. Like, and, and again, I think this is where we do maybe a little bit of a dishonorable mention, uh, right? Because. Sure. I don't know that it was like um, butterfly effect. Like I, that, that's a ripe for remake. I don't think. Like I think the story was good. I don't think the acting was particularly good. Right. I just watched that the other night. Um, I have a soft spot. the The story itself is kind of smart. Like the 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 way that they do like the the idea of the ripple effect. The the technically the the title phrase the butterfly effect. It, yep. Smart. It's the idea of you know what I mean. Like it's it's been in 
time travel movies for a long time and they just kind of made it the central focus is about what what would you change if you could and what would those have what the what repercussions those would have in the future so no i have a, i have a soft spot for that movie i hate aston kutcher but uh, overall or just in that movie just overall just in general let's go away well, which he has, <laughs> pretty yeah, much. Yeah, but but again, I think the concept in that movie, Edge of Tomorrow, same thing. Like I Edge mean, of Tomorrow is fantastic, Steve. Like that is one of my. That's on really? my top top six. Yes, that is so smartly done, and it's the first time you ever see Tom Cruise like not be good at something right away. Like most of the time, you're just okay. He's Maverick. He's the best fighter pilot in the country, yeah, yeah, yeah. or he's he's Ethan Hunt. He's the top super agent in the country. Where this guy starts off as kind of a schlub. He's kind of a piece of crap, and then <laughs> he's got to learn how to be noble, and he's got to learn his purpose, and he's got to learn how to what he can find inside himself. And it makes a lot of sense. The special effects are a little bit wonky, but man, it keeps you enthralled the entire time. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, again, I don't. I think I fell asleep I, I, watching that movie like three times, and I just uh, kept waking up. And I didn't know what part it was because it kept replaying the same part. Sure, but so. I, I I have a soft spot for that, and I just uh, think they should have kept the original name, where all you, it was called "All You Need Is Kill." It's based on a like a Japanese manga, like graphic novel, and it originally was called "All You Need Is Kill," which is a great name. And then they just gave it the generic sci-fi Edge of Tomorrow, edge of tomorrow. Yeah. and then they realized the "Live Die Repeat." tagline that people actually thought that was a better title so if you actually see later versions of the home the home video market version of it it actually says live die repeat colon edge of tomorrow or edge of yeah edge of tomorrow but yeah i like elizabeth or uh, emily blunt's great in it tom cruise is great in it bill yeah. paxton rest in peace uh, i love yeah. he any movie he's in I, yeah. i'll watch even if he's That's only a, a bit part so all right, I'm gonna throw a couple out. These aren't now. So these aren't dishonorable mentions. These are just ones that didn't make my top six. Sure. Um, and and you probably could argue with some of them, but I'm gonna start lower on the list. Like Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home Pass. isn't on my list. <laughs> Pass. I don't want to get into it because I don't want to alienate half our fan base. That's yeah. the Trek people, but like, no thanks. I'm not it, a Star Trek guy. Interstellar. Is that time travel? Uh, yeah, I mean, because. I know. Yeah, I was thinking when you said interstellar, I was I thought inner space, and I was like, wait, that's not time travel at all. But yeah, the idea Meg of Ryan. time. Yeah, Meg, in Martin Short. Yeah, not moose. And, uh, I said hairspray, not moose. Um, yeah, but interstellar. It's just a little. It's a little long, and, yeah. and Christopher Nolan. As much as I love him, and I love the the movies that he makes, sometimes they can just feel a little bit preachy. Like, I don't like the idea yeah. of love being the sixth dimension and eh. but the <laughs> idea of the science of the time dilation around a black hole was cool. And the yep. robots, the weird walking leg robots that they had was super cool. And, but eh. was, was interstellar with Christopher Nolan, it, was Terry Gilliam in that one too, or did he have anything to do? Or am I thinking of something else? Interstellar? No, no, that was all that's Christopher Nolan. The cinematographer was, I think it was Wally Pfister. This is a guy that he works with. I love love Wally Fister's work but no I don't think Terry Gilliam had anything I think Terry Gilliam was still off he's been doing it for 15 years trying to make that goddamn Don Quixote movie that almost killed him like four times the man who killed Don Quixote yeah yeah well no it's the is that the name of I, I man from so, La Mancha yeah. I think is the the documentary about him trying to get it made the first time so he's been trying to get it made but that's the thing Steve this comes back to the argument of art versus artist Terry Gilliam's kind of a piece of garbage like I don't know if you it's all the he came out against me too and all these women should 
stay in their lane. I don't remember the exact <laughs> quote. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, come on. Like, I have to cut yeah. out 12 monkeys in Brazil and time bandits off my viewing now. Right, just, right. Just keep your mouth shut and let us think you're good people. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so that's the, so those that make the list. X-Men Days of Future Past. Yep. I didn't put Pro- it on the list. Probably the we- best X-Men movie. They yeah. can argue with that or yeah. X two. No, I, I liked it. I just it, it didn't. I don't know. I didn't. It didn't make my list for for whatever reason. But I, I still, I think it's a good movie. Sure. Um, Final All countdown. Those... We talked about oh, countdown. Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban. The time travel is part of it, but sure, you know, but it, not but really. It, it's it's magic. not a time travel movie. Yeah, it's more. It's a magic movie in that that particular episode. Like I, I consider that just to be one long. I mean, it is one long saga. So like only having time travel in a tiny portion of it, sure, I guess. Yeah. But that's not All the right. strongest of any of those movies, though. All right, and then this, and this is where I think you're going to come at me. So, um, but these are these are not on my list. Um, I'm Planet of the Apes. Okay. Donnie Darko. I, Donnie Darko only because I haven't seen it. You've never seen Donnie Darko? No. I wrote a paper on in college on that movie. <laughs> like, it was one of my film classes, and we had to write about a movie that affected us. And I don't. I was infatuated with it for a long period of time. And Richard Kelly's kind of made stinkers after that, and he really hasn't done anything since then. And now that I go back and rewatch it, it it falls into that somewhat preachy heavy handedness. But it was it presented time travel and free will in a way that I hadn't seen done in a while and it's one of jake gyllenhaal's young one of his first big big roles that he did mm-hmm. and he was really really good in it and patrick swayze's great in it and there's just there's some great lines in it too but like it, it gets muddled and it doesn't some parts don't make a whole lot of sense but yeah you should watch it it's good watch the director's cut it's a little bit longer but it's more what richard kelly was trying to present versus the studio cut that tried to make it a little bit more uh palatable to normal right. movie going right. audiences yeah. where the director's cut, he didn't really sugarcoat anything. It, it removed some of the exposition and stuff, but no, I mean, it's, it, it's on that barrier of being on my top list or my top six list or honorable mention, but yeah, I didn't put Terminator on my list. Um, that's tough. That's like not the original T2 for me is probably top 10, 15 movie of all time for me because of when it came out and I was, I think I was 14 at the time. And that was probably the first R rated movie I remember seeing in a theater because mom laughed and she was like, yeah, she's like, you can go see it. And I was like, all right, well you have to wait outside. I'm going to go in and try to buy a ticket. And if I can't get a ticket, (laughs) you have to come in. She was like, okay. And she waited outside of Tinseltown. I walked in the guy laughed at me and I walked out and grabbed mom and she came in and bought me a ticket to see that was the first time I think she'd ever done anything like that, that she allowed me to see a R-rated movie. <laughs> right, I so. would never, like, ugh. No, no. Well, I had you guys. I had you and Jen. Like, you guys right. were older than me. You would rent me whatever I wanted, so. <laughs> yeah, but I was, no way mom was telling me to get to see a rated R movie. But rated yeah. R movies changed a little bit. Like, rated had, R back when I was, in, I like, So did 84. mom and dad. Mom and dad changed. You guys had worn them down so much by the time yes. they got to me. They were like, just don't get in trouble. Like, I was yes, like, what? They're like, jail. Yeah, yeah, just don't get in trouble. Don't hurt yourself or others. Like, just we stay did a great trouble. job of lowering expectations. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right. So now we're going to get into, I think you're going to call me out on this one. So I've watched this movie twice at your recommendation. I thought it was good. I don't know that I completely still to this day understand it after watching it twice. Like I need probably I need to probably watch it in the morning with a ton of coffee, which is primer, 
Sure. Like, well, that's Steve. I've seen that movie a lot, and I still don't completely. There's full flow charts that you can get <laughs> off the internet about how they explain how many how many times the loops happen, or how many different versions, and who at because when you follow the movie the way it is like you think that it's the same characters talking to each other but it's different versions of characters talking to each other but there's actually ones that all right this is aaron one and abe two this is aaron three abe two but abe doesn't know that this is aaron three yet he thinks it's aaron two and it's one of the reasons that it works is the shane caruth the guy that wrote and directed starred composed edited blah 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 blah, did everything for this movie wasn't was a software engineer and he wanted to make a movie about accidental discovery and that's the process of they set up like their their workshop in their garage and i think they're trying to figure out a fact checking device i forget i haven't seen it in a while but they create this machine and they it Shane Carruth always talks about the best discoveries have always been accidental discoveries when they've been working on something else and then a small side effect they end up focusing on and then bringing that to the forefront, which is the time travel idea. And it's, he doesn't sugarcoat the language. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, dumb it down or make it more accessible. He keeps it complicated and he keeps the, the engineer jargon and the, the shorthand that they use because that's the way innovation works steve you work in software and right. you know what i mean like you understand that that's how that that process Absolutely. works but most, most people don't and the fact that he shot it on such a small budget the fact that he was able to craft the story by basically just him a couple of his friends and a few other people and like i think he made it for seven grand and that was at the time when they spent most of the money on film stock but to be able to craft that good of a movie off that budget is always has right. always pretty impressed me. So yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, again, I, uh, I I watched it twice. I, again, I understood some of it. I thought the the idea of it was good, everything, but it it didn't make my list. It's it was a little bit. I had to think a little bit too much about it. Um, but you watched it twice. Yeah, and and you need to watch it again, right? Of course. That's the best. That's the hallmark for me of a great film is is the ability, the rewatchability. Like when any movie that you can watch and just be like, okay, that was good, and then cast it off into oblivion and never think about or talk about or watch ever again. Right. To me, isn't a great movie. For me, it's the ones that stick in my head and and make me think about what I just saw and then going back and rewatching it and see what I missed. And that's to me is and if. If you ever watched any of Shane Crew's stuff since then, he made a movie called Upstream Color, which is the is even more confusing about than Primer. It's about some kind of bioorganic virus that gets in your head and causes them to become unstuck in time, like or space time and stuff. It's so so weird, and it, it's that's nearly inaccessible. And I love Shane Crew, so hmm. yeah, he hasn't done much since then. Well. It- and the other one I had that, again, this would be my last, not on my list, was uh, Looper. Okay. I liked it. I like it. Looper. I, yeah. I, I, I didn't it. love it. It's not that I didn't like it. I just, there's the, my, my top one, two, three, four. Yeah, my top six are, I just said, I like, I like more. But this would yeah. be, I think Looper would be seven. I, I don't think the, the problem that I had with Looper wasn't exactly the time travel. It was the special effects that they used on uh joseph gordon levitt to make him look more like bruce willis like he already kind of does like you don't need to change the <laughs> right. co- like the color contacts looked weird and they kind of fur like they i think they extended his forehead a little bit and you didn't need to do that so it, be, it came across as more distracting to me in when watching the movie that they tried to 
make them too similar. It's the same problem. Did you watch The Haunting of Hill House yet? The miniseries on no. Netflix? No, but I well, heard about it. Henry Thomas plays a young version of Timothy Hutton. And Timothy Hutton is really, he's got ice blue eyes. That's one of his like actor trademarks is these, mm-hmm. these piercing blue eyes. And, and Henry Thomas, I think, has green eyes or something so they give him color contact so it matches and he looks like a demon like most of the time you look at it you're like that doesn't look natural at all so like right. you don't want to look him directly in the eye so that's one of my i mean i enjoyed looper i thought it was i thought it was good i thought it was a an interesting take on time travel but it's just missed a little yep all right so I originally had time after time on my list, but last <laughs> night I watched 12 monkeys and I don't wow. know like if we're going to go in order, I got to put 12 monkeys higher. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move that up. Hold on. Yeah. 12 monkeys doing? is probably my favorite time travel movie yeah. of all time. It's, I love Terry Gilliam. I love the real weirdness of it. I like the idea and Brad, Brad Pitt as the, the manic guy that causes, well, spoiler alert, causes the apocalypse kind of, his performance he wasn't super famous at that point in time and no one really everyone only saw him as really like that heartthrob or the the stoner that sleeps on the couch and true romance and stuff but so the to see him as the weird kind of grimy dirty crazy person is was kind of a revelation for me and it all takes place in philly like i got a soft spot for that too because like the uh, asylum scenes were shot at eastern state penn which is like one of the most haunted uh, penitentiaries in the country and like a lot of the exteriors and stuff were shot in the Philadelphia area that I drive by pretty consistently so yeah probably probably number one number one on my list relatively easily there's there's yeah. another one that hopefully is on your list but if not it's well here's the thing my... looking at my list and I don't know what the hell it just happened but uh, one, two, <laughs> I, I only have five I don't, know, I don't... <laughs> fair enough so I don't know what I, we'll, we'll have to decide on a number six but let's so and it's weird the when we get into this the my 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 top my, well, I would say top six but my top five and <laughs> amazing the the when you start looking at the connectivity between Terry Gilliam, Philadelphia and Bruce Willis they kind of yep. there's like there's a connection that weaves through all of these right we talked about the Philadelphia experiment with mm-hmm. the the final countdown um, there's there's a whole lot anyways uh, we'll talk with this is actually number five we'll have to come up with a number six when we're done. Um, on one of the ones you already mentioned, uh, but Army of Darkness. Yeah, of course. That's like, that's number two on my list. Just yeah. because it, to this day, I still quote it. <laughs> like of I course, still quote, of course. Well, hello, Mister Fancy Pants. <laughs> it was it was the one where I think they find like they found that sweet spot in there with mm-hmm. Bruce Campbell and the story, and yeah, it was it was good. Send him back in time. Yeah. <laughs> Just awesome. to, like, let's call it pillow talk, baby. <laughs> first you want to kill me now you want to kiss me blow like that's bruce campbell like to me is probably one of those top 10 of if he's in it i'll watch it just to see what it's like even if he's only got a small role like the ring announcer in spider-man he's so funny to me and that that book confessions of a what was it the b-list actor yeah yeah b-movie actor is so good and he's every podcast that i've ever listened to him on he's always been super nice and endearing the the one that he did with uh chris hardwick on the nerdist when he was just talking about when they shot evil dead and stuff it's one of my favorite hours of of audio that i i agree i agree and i wasn't a big fan of the nerdist I don't know why I don't like Chris Hardwick. Um, I don't. I don't particularly either. But the, but, the but, guests that he gets and the conversations yeah. that they have, like as long as you can just kind of block him out, the conversations are really good. 
So. Yeah. And particularly when it's somebody like when you really want to nerd out with like Bruce Campbell, yeah. the Nerdist was, was good for that. If you really want to kind of get it, like, and it was funny, these guys would go from podcast to podcast. You would get them to go from Nerdist to WTF to whatever. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. would sometimes, if, if there are people I was intrigued by and didn't know a lot about, I would listen to them on WTF. But if it was somebody I wanted to nerd out like Bruce Campbell, I would, I would listen to him. And, I, and right. I knew that Hardwick would nerd out on him. I would listen to him on the Nerdist. Yeah. It's yeah, it's Army of Darkness. He gets sucked back into into time during medieval times and ha- accidentally unleashes the army of the undead because he couldn't remember the words to <laughs> like that's Steve. That's still like um, I've seen it hundreds of times and like I haven't seen it in a long time, but I'm laughing in my head right now just thinking about scenes in that movie. It, it just it's great. And if you if you don't consider that a, a top 6 time travel movie then you don't like the same <laughs> stuff that I do. So. Right. No, that's definitely on there. The next one is and this is again more from this goes back to our childhood uh, cuz I've been watching it a lot as a kid. I actually started rewatching it a little bit. Um was Time Bandits, right? Yep. That's Terry Gilliam um Sean Connery, one of, one of yeah, Sean Connery, Sean John Cleese, John King, Cleese. King Ad- Agamemnon, I think is his <laughs> is his character name, and it was only supposed to like it's only like a twenty minute cameo. I think he just Sean Connery was like a huge fan of Monty Python and said Terry Gilliam like I think I'll do he he would do whatever he wanted him to, and he was like all right, can you come in and do this cameo? And that's I think it's they give Sean Connery, Sean Connery top billing, and he he's only in it for like twenty minutes tops. Well, yeah, and the thing the thing that I read if again if you believe IMDb was in the script it was a uh, Sean Connery type but cheaper but cheaper. <laughs> I, I read that exact same way. It was like he takes off his hood to reveal a Sean Connery or similar looking at a cheaper rate or whatever. It's a, <laughs> right? Yeah, that and was in. Sean was like, I'll do it. Yeah, Terry Gilliam's book. I think that's what it came, or the yeah. director's commentary, or one of them. I haven't seen Time Bands probably in 15, 20 years. I remember watching it in college once, but I think that's the last time I watched yeah. it. So, it's a long movie. Like Terry Gilliam, I think makes long movies. Yeah, um, but it was they couldn't find anybody to make it. So George Harrison from the Beatles <laughs> was the, one of the executive producers on it. Yeah, I, I, that's one of the notes that I have written under underneath it. But I mean, look, Sean Connery, Shelley Duvall, Ian Holm. Like yeah. it was, ends up going on to play Bilbo. I mean, yeah, it's a great cast. And it's Terry Gilliam being weird and yeah, it's about dwarves very... traveling through time for to yeah. rob stuff. Like it wasn't like, hey, it's not Princess Bride where everything feels good and it's clean and good natured and stuff. Like no, they're just going through time to steal stuff. No, and it, it was it, it, there's some interesting storytelling too, right? Which was the because they wanted a, a Kevin, right, the kid, to be the kind of the centerpiece of mm-hmm. the of the movie they got you know a bunch of small actors to kind of instead of having like they didn't feel like the uh, whatever a 10 or 12 year old could carry the movie Mm. but they wanted the people around them to be like to help carry the movie but see similar in size so that's why you can see it from their point of view exactly and they filmed it low and and did all that stuff so again sounds like he's a pretty pretty creative guy pretty particular sure (laughs) guy um when it comes to the to, to filmmaking so well that's what it was just maybe a week or so ago that uh, uh search for holy grail popped up on brody's uh netflix profile and aaron just turned to look at me she goes what is that doing on there i was like and then i sat and thought about it for a second i was like i don't think there's anything vulgar in 
holy grail whatsoever and she was like well i haven't seen it in a long time and she was like i always just put that in the same like mel brooks category i was like no actually now that i think of it it's like a killer a killer rabbit and then you know some goofiness to it and she was like oh i guess you're right and i was like yeah the 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 farting in the general direction like it's it's monty python was silly like it was right. never like the later stuff so life of brian and the search of meaning or whatever the meaning of life yeah, like yeah. those had some really dark stuff in it but like early python it's just kind of goofy the ministry of silly walks like those are that's stuff that brody laughs at when i put right. it on so right but. yeah so then that goes in the next one we already talked about this one a little bit was 12 monkeys 12 monkeys um, that was pretty like that From was a time based... travel movie perspective was pretty pretty intense yeah that the, the I, I think that came the it was based on a movie that Terry Gilliam claims that he never saw. It was some like French movie from like the fifties or something called like La Tourette or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It but it was like a short film or something. Yeah. yeah, and he claims that he never saw it or something. But yeah, no, it's the, I think he came up with the idea of seeing his own death when he was a kid or something like that, and yeah, and he built the idea backwards from there. So no, really good. I mean, great cast. Madeline Stowe's great. Brad Pitt's great. Um, David Morse. Yeah, Brad Pitt was again. I watched that last night. Brad Pitt was like he was very twi- like he played that character well. You forget with Brad Pitt. There was there was times that I used the the look. I think he's talking about television, and he's keeping. He's talking about how it keeps everybody mindless, and he does this speech where he goes. I think he says, "Look, Neil." sit pray and it, that that rung in my head and i was like oh my god it is it's just basically it's a sedative for the masses is pop culture and then i was like oh my god but i consume more pop culture more than anybody else I'm like, oh, <laughs> right i'm a contradiction walking walking so I, I did like the fact that i picked up on it before i read any of the like the trivia or whatever on imdb was yeah. that Bruce Willis said, I see, I see nothing but dead people. I see nothing but dead people. Yeah. Right. I didn't see that. But that's which also then all, but, that, Which then all tries, that ties back to Philly, and there was a lot of it filmed at that Philly penitentiary that you mentioned. Yeah. So. Eastern all State right. Pen. It's legendary. Next one on my list, we, I watched this Friday with the kids. It, it, it's, it's fun. Like I, I, there was parts of it I rolled my eyes like, oh, my God, this is so 80s, but Bill and, <laughs> Bill and Ted's oh, God, excellent yeah. adventure. It's, I, I Time travel it has the whole, like, even though it's a comedy, it, they they still kind of hold true to the the, the way time travel movies kind of work. Which is, sure. you know, you got to wind your watch, you got to end up in the right spot. If you do like, you can you can manipulate things, but they do it in kind of a way where it's like they're not messing with, they're messing with a big thing. Don't get me wrong, right? Which is sure. like if they don't pass their they don't pass their history test, they're not going to be go on to be like the. Uh, the, the legendary rockers, yeah, yep. the, the wild stallions, but like, I, I, I think this was the first time I saw Carlin like in a role like that wasn't like I mean he was funny but he was like he was in a movie like yeah he was just acting like it I wasn't Carlin remember. being and, Carlin it was just him he was actually a character like Rufus is yeah it's probably a lot of Carlin like that is based on him but. Right. It's not him being Carlin. It's him actually acting. And you're like, whoa, he's actually a decent yeah. actor. Yeah. And then the fact that going back, I mean, Kevin Smith used him in a couple, right? I mean, yep. it was kind of a, he would, you know, was the, put him was in Was he movies. the Pope? Was he the Pope in Dogma? Oh, he's the Bishop. Bishop. Is that in, who in Dogma? He was yeah. the father in, was it Jersey Girl? Yeah. Like, what does he say? If only was it, was we had Jersey their Girl? numbers. Is that the one I'm thinking of? I don't know. I don't Replace. think I ever saw Ben Affleck's dad or whatever. I don't think I've ever seen Jersey Girl. But is that true? Yeah, whatever. Maybe. 
So no. that, that one, and man, is that, that and, and I think they're rebooting that, right? I mean, no, not a reboot. It's the, it's the capper to a trilogy. So Alex Winter, the guy that plays, that plays Bill, uh, is a writer now. Like that's what he does. He's a screenwriter and wrote a script for like a, a, a finishing the trilogy of Bill and Ted. And oh, Keanu that's, what Reeves. I meant. that's what I meant. Yeah. I mean, they're going to, they're going to make a new one with Keanu with Reeves everybody with Keanu Reeves, like saying how excited he was to come back. Like I want to see, I want to see 50 year old Ted Theodore Logan. Like I, I, I want to see how Keanu Reeves goes back to that role because I, I don't care what other people say. Keanu Reeves is one of my favorite working actors and like everything that you see about him off set and like just as a general person is so great that I don't care what anybody says. Like there's so many videos of him getting up and like giving people his seat on the New York subway or, and everybody talked about the, one of the stories that I, the, the sad Keanu meme of him, like eating a sandwich by himself, like the context of that photo, like if people knew what the context of that photo was, then they would never make fun. I think he had just lost his mom or his wife or, or somebody really, really close to him and was like going through some stuff and like didn't want to bring anybody else down. So he went and sat by himself to have some lunch and kind of gather himself. And someone took that photo and turned it into a meme. And I just want to find that person and give him the finger. Right. Because Keanu no, Reeves you're is right. awesome. You, you, you hear about him kind of off, off screen and the kind of dude that he is. And... You know, I, I really lobbied hard, and and Charlie's probably too young for John Wick, but I showed him the trailer <laughs> for it. I was like, you, I tried to tell the kids the story, like you got it, like it's, it's like the, the original John Wick movie, like the the way they set that up yep. is is really good, smart. It Steve top five. We my friends and I do do top five lists, like high fidelity, and we we set parameters and like so we did top five action movies, and I'm sure we'll get to that, but. John Wick is on my list, regardless of what qualifiers you have. If you want to eliminate <laughs> science fiction, sure. If you want to put, you know, war movies on the list, sure. John Wick's still on my list just because, one, the movie is, it's a simple revenge tale, but it's done so well, and he did so much training, and he does all of his stunt work, and, and the mm-hmm. story behind it is great. Like, the only reason that movie exists, Steve, is because of The Matrix and how well he treated, because the guy that wrote and directed it, the the two guys, I forget what their names are right now, but were, were his stunt doubles from The Matrix. So he worked with them so long ago, and they were like, well, we have this idea. And he was like, okay, bring me what you got. And they brought him John Wick, and he was like, this is great. Let me help you executive produce it. And they were like, well, we've never directed anything before. He was like, here, let me help you do this. You need me to take less salary so we can get some more people in here? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, ah, the only reason. And now they're going on to direct their own things. And he learned how to do, like, all of the training that he goes through and all of the weapon skills that he learns. yeah, yeah. Is amazing, and that was the movie we watched. And Benny and I were in a theater. We went and saw it. We go see weird movies together, so we watched that. At one point in time, we noticed that he was reloading, and we're like, "All right, we're going to time it out. We're going to count each one of the shots to see if it was an actual full clip. I think the size of the gun, and it was like a fifteen, and it was exactly fifteen bullets that he fires before he clicks it, and it's empty, and he reloads. And we're like, "Okay, we're in. If they if they take that <laughs> level of detail in." A gunfight means they they take that level of detail with all the fight scenes and stuff. So, yeah, sorry, I went off on no, a tangent, but I love John. No, Beck. no, no. But but what I like about the movie is, and I think you and I talked about this before, right? Right after I watched it, um, is they do such a good job of building up the 
the mythology around mm-hmm. John Wick. Like they, yep. the way they do the beginning of that movie to like to that defining moment where was it John Leguizamo was talking to the Russian mob boss, the Russian like, mob boss, and it was like they stole John Wick's car, and the way like the yep. the, the hush goes over everything, and like it, it becomes like this. Oh, you you awakened a sleeping giant type of thing. Well, that's one of the things that I always talk about is efficient dialogue. And that's everything in that movie, the, at least the first one. The second one, eh, yeah. I, have, I have some issues with how cartoonish <laughs> it got. But the first one, that, that conversation, Steve, is only three lines. The Vigo calls and says, I heard you struck my son. And then John Aguizamo, all he says, he goes, they stole John Wick's car and they killed his dog. And then Vigo <laughs> just goes, oh, and hangs up the phone. And just those three simple lines of dialogue put the entire movie into motion about who John Wick is and why this is such a big deal that this happened and what's going to go on from that, like what's going to go the, to continue from that point on. And you're just yeah. like, okay, I'm in. Like, I remember turning to Benny and smiling and go, if that's the setup, I'm a hundred percent on board. <laughs> and right. then it just straight up kick ass action movie for the next hour and 20 minutes after that. So yeah, yeah it's, it's good. It's so, and they're going to make a third one, right? Yeah, yeah, the Parabellum. I think it, they've all, they've been really good that it comes out in May every year, or every two years or three years. But it's always out for my birthday, so I always yeah. get a chance to go see the new John Wick movie. Yeah, and I hope they bring it more back to the um, what was it? The, what was the name of the hotel? The Continental. Continental. I have a T-shirt. It, it, it looks like it's it has like the coin on the front, and it's got the picture of the building, and then it just says neutral ground underneath it. I bought it. Nice. I bought it like right after the movie came out, and like I wear it to like film nerd events, like to like film festivals and stuff. And only like three or four people have like recognized what it is, but everyone came up and like gave me a hug. It was like, yeah, you're you're immediately <laughs> going to be my friend. I was like, why? And they're like, your T-shirt is awesome. I was like, yeah, it's John Wick. And they're like, yeah, we know we love John Wick. They're doing a TV show based on the hotel. Based on the continental. Well, and I, again, I hope they, I hope that takes a bigger part because there's a whole like you could do a whole lot with that kind of bringing like John Wick story and all the other people that end up at that hotel. You could sure. jump off of that. That could be a good jumping off point for for other other stories. Sure. All right, all right and then last of my list, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody, but it, 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 and again, it it took time travel, made it like a blockbuster movie out of it. And I don't want to say dumbed it down, but they made it palatable to the masses, yep. which would be the back to the future. And I didn't put one of the movies in there. I no, think the first just the one. series, just put the series yeah. on there. Like you yeah. can't really separate them. That and much. they were all good. Like they were yeah. all good in their own rights. I think, you know, the, the first one, because it just introduces you to this. And again, it makes it like that. They, they kind of boil down the science a little bit and everything. And you can just, you can, it's, I don't want to say believable, but you kind of get it. Like, it, sure. and it doesn't go it doesn't go too far in any direction. Where it's like, hey, if I don't make this thing happen, I don't exist. Yeah, right? and it just makes it super simple, and it's just fun. And Christopher Lloyd as Doc Brown, like, I just love that. I love yeah. that character. It's funny because he's kind of like Reverend Jim meets Einstein. Like, kind of. That's exactly yeah, what I think. Like, it's it's so much fun. And there are scenes like I can watch that movie and, and, and laugh. And then even where they take it, where they go from the you know the first movie to the second to the to the third, and uh, you know, it, it, again, I, I like the whole. I could watch them like if they're on TV and uh, sure. over the holidays, whatever. And you're in the middle of one, I'll sit there and watch it. The, like, the scene good, where he's 
He's showing Marty uh, how the series of events, the model villages, where he sets up the town and he's like, all right, we have to hit here and here and then the electric. And then the, the little toy DeLorean catches on fire and runs into the curtain and he just drops his mouth. He just makes like a squealing noise like, like that. Yeah. It's just, to this day still makes me laugh every time I even think of it. But that when we were my, talking about talking most about memorable, time, my most memorable scene out of all three of those movies, it makes me laugh every, every time. time is that scene. <laughs> every time but so i i was trying to do a little bit of different research for back to the future just because dude i fell down a really really dark hole of fan theories so there there are some good ones that make a lot of sense the one that i always came back to was that marty died at the end of back to the future 2 so remember when he goes back in there the the hoverboard sequence in the train tunnel or in the tunnel when, yeah. when biff he's trying to run him down so right in the movie of course he he gets saved by doc brown showing up at the last minute and dropping the 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 flag rope or whatever that is and pulls marty out of the way yeah how how did he know to go to that exact moment and go right there unless he didn't at least once where marty got ran (laughs) down by biff so he had at least factual evidence he's like oh no i have to go back to that moment where the timeline splits where marty got mercilessly run down by biff (laughs) and i know this is how i'm going to save him and i started thinking about that i was like oh my god that makes a whole ton of sense because how else would he know to go that he didn't have like a tracker on Marty. He didn't know anything. Why would why would he be out in the middle of nowhere at that point in time? Except if at one <laughs> in one sequence Marty didn't make it and he wasn't there to save him. So right. like I was like, ooh, that was a dark one. Or the fact that George McFly knew that his son was a, a time traveler all along because of his he was huge in the science fiction and he knew that the the reason that he came back was necessary to the timeline. I was like, oh. That kind of makes a lot of sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. And that gives, when he gets older, that his dad gives him that knowing look because he knows that's when his his son came back for the first time because he knew he was a time traveler all along. Or that Marvin Berry and his band were time cops. If you think about how integral (laughs) they are to that point, into that story, because they interject with Biff and his guys to stop them from going after Marty, correct? And the only reason... They do, or the only the effect of that is Marty gets to go back to the original timeline. So wouldn't they have to have some reason to be there? I was like, these all make kind of sense, and the reason yep. that he calls his cousin Chuck Berry and and plays the song because in the timeline Chuck Berry has to be the person to to create that song or else everything the butterfly effect ends up snowballing so in order to stop any of those people in the gym from stealing that song he shows it to marvin or to to chuck Berry immediately and then chuck ends up being the author of the song i was like ah that makes a lot of sense too but (laughs) like so that's what i mean like i fell into it really i mean it's back to the future i've seen it so many times and i've done all of the the regular research about how they made it and blah 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 but i mean it's one of 750 movies on the national film registry so it's important it's an important to the, right. the the history of american cinema and to not have it on a even a, a top 750 list have it to have not have it on there about time travel is and sacrilege it, and it increased <laughs> resale value of deloreans i mean come on <laughs> I don't know if that even it just resurrected the fact that well that's what the the running gag of the door falling and Marty hitting his head over and over again wasn't in the script it was just because DeLorean and going doors sucked and the pistons always failed so him banging his head became a thing because of 
just the DeLorean being a piece of crap in the first place. So, yeah. all right, the, the I, attention the attention to detail in that movie is ridiculous too. Like the Twin Pine versus Lone Pine Mall. Did you ever notice that? Mm-mm. So when the first time when he goes to the mall to meet up with Doc in the, in the present day in 1985 right. or whatever it is, it's Twin Pine Mall, Twin Pines Mall. That's the he drives past the sign and it says yeah, Twin, yeah. when he goes back and he runs down one of the trees where the the mall is going to be. And then he comes back to the future. It's called Lone Pine Mall. <laughs> I never you, noticed that. It's Steve like that's the idea is that they took such care to make sure that the anachronisms and things like that in the movie were were legitimate where they're they were there for a reason and that's when someone pointed that out to me i was like oh okay yeah zemeckis totally knew what he was doing so right. but yeah i have some other honorable mentions but time crimes is a spanish one where a guy accidentally goes through time and then he has to try to stop himself from going through time and it's just mm-hmm. like a, a f- series of follies that befalls but it's real dark and it's kind of weird it's this guy named nacho vigalando i think is his writer director's mm-hmm. name um source code this is duncan jones which is uh yeah. david bowie's son did a time travel movie with jake gyllenhaal caught in a time loop which was really good uh run lola run is another one i think yeah. you would like that's the Tom Twiker with uh, Frankie Poteet. I've seen that. Yeah, you might have. It's it, it it has. It's almost like a music video where she plays out like the same fifteen minutes right. of her life like six different ways. But the only one I want to mention is one. It's called Predestination. Have you ever seen this one, Mm-mm. Steve? This is with Ethan Hawke. So it's based on a book called or based on a story called All You Zombies by Robert Heinlein. Robert Heinlein's the guy that wrote Starship Troopers and Stranger in a Strange Land and. Uh, what was what's the other one I'm thinking of? Uh, another one, but so I've read the story, I've read or I've watched the movie. It's about time cops that have to go back in time, but the main character finds out that he's his own mother and father. So he's like a true. Yeah, that's what I mean, Steve. Like I, I can't. He's a true hermaphrodite. So. He gets sent back in time after he was gender assigned to be a male. They removed his female reproductive mm-hmm. organs and reconstructed his male ones. But he goes back in time and he rapes himself back when he was a kid and when he was a girl or when he was a true hermaphrodite. So it turns out that he's his own mother and father. It's the biggest, like, that's, oh. what I mean. that's the only reason I even want to mention it. Because as it ends, you're just like, what the hell just happened? They're like, oh, my God, he's his own mother and father. And then it just ends. And you're like, okay. So yeah, I can't. Yeah, you can't talk about a, a mind f of a movie about yeah. time travel without referring uh, to that one. So yeah. yeah, that was kind of the the sound I wanted you to make. The- yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to wrap this up, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go wash that off, you. Go get in the yeah. shower. All right. So what what I did is I went back to my original list, right? Which I, I just had this typed up wrong. I was because I hadn't seen Twelve Monkeys until yesterday, um, and you can't count the six. Right, <laughs> right, <laughs> and we didn't. It's funny we didn't have any Rucker Hauer references in here. <laughs> right, so uh, time after time, which Rucker Hauer was Rucker Hauer was not in. This is number six, Army of Darkness five, Time Bandits four. Um, more just because of the nostalgia from the childhood. Like I think that was the first real time travel movie I saw. Sure, um, Twelve Monkeys, Bill and Ted's Back to the Future. <laughs> It's a solid list. I can't argue too much. Most of mine are just weirdos <laughs> to put on, like weird ones to put on there anyway, just to be yeah. different. But, I don't but there's a contra- lot. Like that's a and, yeah. and, the, and the one thing that as we kind of wrap this up, 
um, that I noticed, and not just that Bruce Willis, Terry Gilliam, Philadelphia are all weaved into a lot of these one way or the other, is there is, and I don't know if it's a Hollywood thing or just overall the way time travel going all the way back to H.G. Wells, like there's this borderline, it's time travel and mental illness seem to, sure, and, and, and psychosis kind of go together. Like if you look at 12 Monkeys, um, you look at some of the other ones I'm trying to think of, um, Time Bandits, or you know what I mean, like where the where or in in in, in maybe Interstellar or whatever, that there is like this idea, of like oh, I'm from the future or I'm from the past or whatever, that immediately you get put in, like it's institutionalized yeah. type of. You're thing. crazy. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, what I'm thinking of, not, not, I didn't mean Interstellar. I meant um, Butterfly Effect. Butterfly right? Effect. So yep. he's he's you know, his dad's institutionalized. He's now mm. in, like it. it the, the going to see psychiatrists, figuring out like there there seems to be when it's portrayed, particularly when it gets into some certain territories. So I'll pick on Twelve Monkeys and, and Butterfly Effect, where those those are really you kind of get into institutional psychology and things like that. Sure. And and that was something I never picked up on before as a theme. As like when people start to talk about time travel, people immediately be like, "You're crazy. You're crazy." So, yep, sounds about right. All right. Anything else? Nope, that's all I got. All right, that was a good one. Um, again, this is that'll do it for for this week. Uh, again, you can follow us on Twitter at MatchWits, W-I-T-T-S, uh, or go to our website at www.matchwits.com. Uh, again, <laughs> do you to, really have to say www dot anymore? I don't know. It's like, it's like I'm in the in the nineties <laughs> again. I don't know, whatever. Um, MatchWits on the interweb. Yeah. <laughs> You open your browser, Netscape browser, and yeah. go to Net, dot, Netscape. Dub, dot, Net, Netscape Navigator. Yeah. Version 4.6. <laughs> yeah, right. If you guys want to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, it's at AcquiredWit, two Ts. Plug my own stuff. Because you, you don't post anything, so I have to post something yeah, online. Yeah, I got to start posting well, stuff. That's how you get um, a Twitter follow. You can't just expect the people to listen and be like, oh, those guys are really good. Yeah, the only people that stuff. listen really so far are like Jay and like my friends because I just get text messages. <laughs> He's like, oh, I can't believe you talked about Tiger Helli. I was like, yep. No, we've got we've got the, the the listenership is growing for sure. We're into the you know we're, we're getting so. out there. So this is the, it's fun for me to do regardless if people are listening or not. Uh, so agreed. And and you know we're about the point now we've built up enough here that we'll uh, we'll we'll start I'll start promoting it more. Cool. All right, so until until next week, um, we will bid you all adieu. Adieu. Later. See ya. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads.